take one, baby. Well, man, what's up, y'all? It's um, Downtown Church Podcast Take One. Artez messed up, so now it's Take oh Two. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but it's oh, all man. good, man. We miss you guys. We, the month of April, we're just extremely busy, um, but we are officially back. So, um, Adriana, still, hey. how about you tell us what we're talking about today? Yeah, so, yes, a lot has happened over the last few weeks. Absolutely. And uh, coming back, we just wanted to go ahead and address the Chauvin trial. Uh, there were a lot of emotions that came up throughout that trial. Um, I know for just personally, I felt... All the emotions I feel like, and I'm sure you guys have too. So we just wanted to go ahead and process, first take, um, raw, our feelings about it, uh, and just analyze it, and hopefully talk about uh, a Christian response yeah. to it. So with that, I'm going to go ahead. Sir G has some great questions for us. I'm going right, to go ahead cool. and throw it back to you. Cool. So um, just to do a quick recap of even how we got to this point of just this past year. We're not even talking about, you know, um, you know, the, the past decade or the past century, but just the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember probably it was last April. Don't have all of, of the dates perfectly, but, man, we remember Brandon Taylor, um, that that shooting, Ahmaud Arbery, mm-hmm. and then I think George Floyd happened towards the end of May. Yep. Not just think, when that happened, it was just like the, almost like the, the needle, or what's the word, like the hay? The straw that the straw that broke the camel's, camel's back. back. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> 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 my lord. <laughs> my bad. The needle in the hay. I was trying to help you out so we can keep rolling. But y'all, we have been just laughing all day. Was really <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> Hey y'all, excuse me, but the George Floyd murder was the was the star that broke the camel's back. You got it. Yeah. And and as we just thought about just this past year, we, we talked about all of the riots, the racial tension, the election. We are talk about all of these things. Um, so I just even want to just even ask us again, uh, like, how did you guys cope? Um, with just enduring seeing the, these multiple killings um, on camera um, this past year. Yeah. So you mean like last summer or how we're processing I mean, it now? It's all throughout, like gotcha. last summer, but like even now, like we still see shootings um, from um, people being shot unarmed by, by police officers mm-hmm. who, who are sworn to protect and serve and just always in my mind just triggers us again you know yeah. in some way or form yeah i'll go ahead and go uh for like for me last year we were like in the middle of quarantine lockdown and everything and i feel like um those just felt like they were back to back all the ones you just named and i feel like because we were in quarantine we had a lot of time on our hands and so i think because we were in quarantine i was kind of forced to face it opposed to like, okay, I'm going to process it, but I still got some other stuff to do. So let me go ahead and run to this meeting or just whatever it is. Um, we were kind of forced to go ahead and process it. Um, and I think that's why it hit so hard. Because as a black person, 
um, when you see those things, it's easy to kind of form a kind of a, a scab over the wound. Mm-hmm. So it's like, <clears throat> yeah, I see that, but like it happens all the time. Like there's only so much capacity I have, like it's only so much emotional and mental capacity I have to keep on seeing this trauma. Um, and so, but I think like we just we we didn't have anything to run to, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so yeah, it definitely hit me hard, and I I still have not watched that video. Because mm. um, like just the little snippets I saw, you know, I haven't. Because actually, it was it wasn't just eight minutes; it was like nine minutes. We found out through the trial or whatever. Um, and so I didn't even, I have not watched the whole thing. I don't want to watch the whole thing because it was just so much, so much trauma. Um, seeing black people just treated the way they, it just, it was just too much. And also knowing like I have cousins that are kind of his same stature. And so it's just like, and mind you, these cousins are like 19. And so, um, just like when do these little black boys turn into a threat for people? And knowing how sweet they are and just being really, really scared for them. Because, um, like, we call, I, I think I've said this before, like, I have a cousin, we call him Tank. He's been, like, you know, um, I feel like he's been over six feet for a very long time. And he is one of the sweetest children you'll ever meet. I mean, he's 19 now, I probably shouldn't be saying he's a child, but. Um, but I feel like if he was in a similar situation, he would definitely be seen as a threat. And so, like, seeing that was just, like, that could be any of my cousins. It was just, it was just a lot. I don't want to ramble. Um, but it was just, it was really, really hard seeing that. Let me switch up on the question. Mike and Artez, how did you guys feel, not so much during this past year, but just throughout the trial itself? Like, as you was seeing the different witnesses come up, the different testimonies being taken, what different emotions came up for y'all? I think for me, um... Like Adriana said, this one hit different. Um, I mean, you're talking about, I've seen protests, you know, uh, videos of protests in Switzerland, you know, so it was like a worldwide uh, uh, case or uh, incident, if you will. And then the footage itself, so, you know, in my mind coming into the trial, I was like, this should be obvious, you know, that this was, this was wrong. But at the same time, you know, on the other side of the coin, I'm like, well, we also seen how, you know, the system didn't really turn out in the favor of the uh, what was we perceived clearly as a victim. And so just on edge, um, you know, I, I think you got the defense who's really trying the, his main job is to defend Derek Chauvin. And so um, in a way that sometimes it, it kind of made me sick to my stomachs, like. I'm not, you know, I have a background in, in you know, in, in law and things like that. But I think just as as a human, you know, um, as a as a brother, you know, just seeing that brother uh, life being taken away uh, at the at the the hands or the knee, I should say, of a, a police officer, um, it just breaks your heart. And so anyway, I, as I watch this the, the case unpack, and I'm just like, okay, either it's gonna be a matter of time in which. They pull out some evidence. He's going to be in favor. He's going to be acquitted or left, you know, kind of uh, left off the hook. Or, you know, that celebratory or, you know, um, just, man, I'm glad that justice was served. And so anyway, we know how it, how it ended or we know how that's where it's leading. But I think throughout, I was just kind of like a mixed emotions. Like, man, what is this going to 
turn out to was something that I thought was an obvious, uh, uh, what do you call it, offense. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think as I um, gave some attention to the case, I'll be honest with you, I didn't give a whole lot of attention to it. Um, and part of it was because I was pessimistic about it. Uh, you know, having this, having seen this consistently over the past several years uh, has been somewhat discouraging. Um, and so to to see uh, the results of this case, uh, I wouldn't even say it was encouraging. Um, I just say that, and I wouldn't even say that we've waking up. Um, just say we got a long, we still have a long way to go. And that's how I kind of left um, thinking about it. We still have a long way to go because the idea in which we come to these matters and we're a very divided nation, yet we call ourselves a united nation. Uh, and to see us, the, someone killed uh, on television uh, and to justify the, the killing, uh, to feel no remorse about life being left. And uh, granted, we have a justice system that tries to do its best to make sure um, the justice is served. Uh, one of my things is it's, it's the value of the individual, uh, the humanity of the, of the person. And I feel as if uh, we are all too often um, willing to argue about the loss of life, mm-hmm. whether they mourn the loss of life. Um, and I don't care, you know, where, what an individual has done, but as Adriana had already mentioned, you know, when, did, when does a person become dangerous? Um, when do you see it, that individual, uh, depending on the color of their skin, when they become a threat? Uh, and so I think what is what has been eye-opening for me is how I have been subconsciously living my life under the lens of recognizing that I am a threat and I'm always putting someone else at ease. Mm-hmm. And so that reality, uh, it affects me drastically because uh, when I go places, when I walk around and we have to have masks on me today, right, I'm overly conscious, right? And that becomes extremely exhausting because uh, I don't have the liberty just to feel as if I am a regular person being able to be accepted by our society. Our society, I have to be conscious of what I'm wearing, how I'm presenting myself. Uh, how I uh, how I have a conversation, uh, and all of which is putting someone else at ease, so that I won't um, so I won't be a threat. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think too, like that was so upsetting to me. So, Mike, you said you didn't try to keep up with the trial. I did try to keep up with the trial. Like I was really interested, just personally hearing the different witnesses, their testimony, their like firsthand takes, and even like the police side of things. And it was just so upsetting how the image that kept being portrayed of, of George Floyd was this, like this huge monster of a man. The police, they were so scared um, that they couldn't control him because he was such this big man. And you know, every picture they showed on TV was George Floyd in the tank top. I mean, he was over probably 6'3", 200 something pounds. Like, he was a man, but just like, whoa, this man is handcuffed behind his back, you know, on the ground. So it was just so upsetting, um, you know, just seeing 
that narrative. And I think too, um, for me personally, something that really triggered me um, and my heart kind of beats fast every time I think about it. Um, one of the witnesses, mm -hmm. I forget his name, but he was the black male who approached the officer and was like, hey, you're killing George. You know, get 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 off George. You're, you're killing this man. And then and, and the officer, Derek Charvin, then moved and he started, you know, I'm calling him a coward and things like that. And when he was in court, um, the defense was trying to portray him as being an aggressive mm -hmm. black male, um, um, trying to use that as an excuse to, uh, you know, make it seem like Derek couldn't do his job properly because he had, you know, another aggressive black male. Like you said, Mike, like that really, um, man, that really stuck with me because I remember being in middle school at a majority white school and me being treated wrong, but I was called a monster. Um, my teacher told the principal she was scared of me. And so that's just kind of one of the things, even outside of seeing another life loss and struggling to see if justice is going to be served. It's like this case even brought up so many more, I guess you can say, um, triggers or things that have traumatized me in the past um, that we still have to deal with on today. Now that's, I mean, I think the, the point, Mike, you brought up was just as a black man in public, you know, having to expand that energy of, you know, making people feel at ease or disarming people. <clears throat> and honestly, when we look at trials like this, and I don't want to make generalizations, you know, uh, about law enforcement because Hey, we got, you know, people even in our own community, in our own church who serve or is serving in law enforcement. So I appreciate the fact that God do have, you know, uh, things like that set up to to protect us. However, there is a reality, too, as a black man, instead of seeing a police officer behind me or, he, or anywhere, if that matter, instead of feeling at ease because of their job is to protect and to serve. Sometimes I feel tense mm -hmm. and, um, you know. My my tags are uh, or uh, or uh, not expired. I'm trying to think of it. Uh, they're up to date. Every you know paperwork. I don't you know have anything out. But nevertheless, there has been a consistent pattern and narrative that um, it could just be that day. You know that I, I fit the description. You know, um, folks say, well, just comply. We've seen you know, Mr. Floyd. Oh, you just we seen an example of the lieutenant complying. Exactly. Exactly. So, a man in uniform. Exactly. And yeah. I think that, that the reality becomes is you, you live a life with the presupposition that you're guilty. Mm -hmm. right? And so that that you know, as soon as you see that officer behind you and um they may not even be following you're thinking about all of the ways that you could possibly not be guilty. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Um and when you are uh, walking through the store or walking past um, a person who has a purse or opening a door, you're thinking about all the ways that you cannot, uh, that you will not present yourself as a threat or someone that is looking to take something from them. And to live with that consciously 
uh, and as Sir Gregory brought up, the labels that we in our society consistently put on children when they're young um, to, to live with them forever. As the church, we have no, uh, and I'm not talking about society, I'm talking about the church, we, we don't live with the mindset that, that redemption is real then. Right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we label individuals and then we allow that to be their forever mm-hmm. tag on their lives as if God can never redeem, uh, restore, renew any of those things. And, that, and that's, a, you know, when we talk about <clears throat> a lot of people use coded language to, that this, we need to stick to the gospel or it needs to be about evangelism. Um, I think that that is a, an excuse not to have responsibility mm-hmm. and ownership of, what, of, 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 of um, their own thoughts, opinions, um, et cetera, how they perpetuate these things. I might, that's important. So can you elaborate further? Like help, like, like speak more into why it isn't enough to just stick to evangelism. Um, in, in matters like this, you know what I'm saying? Like, for someone who was like, man, let's just stop thinking about that. Let's just stick to the gospel, evangelize, get people's souls saved, their hearts changed. That is all that matters. Why do you feel like it's more than that? Uh, well, I believe um, that it's because uh, it is a matter of word and deed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the Bible teaches us. You know, you look. And understand the wisdom behind what one believes uh, carries one's actions um, forward and, and also manifest itself in terms of the way that uh, one shows compassion and empathy. Right? Uh, and so like that is very important because when we talk about matters of evangelism and Jesus sees individuals that are helpless and harassed, um, he doesn't say that let's just give them a word. He heals them. He feeds mm-hmm. the 5,000. He provides for their needs in every way so that, uh, in the ways that they that he observes, so that they understand that the gospel is something that's tangible. Mm-hmm. The gospel does not become something tangible for people um, who are suffering when their needs are still a concern. Mm-hmm. Right? My stomach is empty, but you're telling me to believe in the gospel. That's a hard thing. I'm going to eat. All right? Yeah. I'm a single mom, and you telling me just to believe in the gospel that my cop, my child is going to have the same opportunities afforded to them as someone else's child with a black, white, Asian, white, etc. It's hard. It's hard just to hold on to that. That's what the gospel is. Evangelism is not just merely a proclaiming aspect of things. The Bible teaches us that the evangelism manifests itself in those words and deeds. And so, for us in our society, more and more, what needs to happen for believers who say just stick to evangelism need to have more of a, as I would say, a, a priestly responsibility. Right? The Bible says that we're a priesthood, we're a royal nation. Right? And if that is the case, we all then carry out manifestations of what it looks like to minister to each other. In other words, serve one another's needs uh, in a way that that is able to show people how good God is. Our job is to carry out the characteristics of God through our actions through what we do. And that's very important. Um, so, yeah, I'll stop right there. Because. Yeah, yeah. I think I was thinking about, um, like, if we're Christians, we're supposed to be like Christ. And I was thinking about um, in John 8, where there's a lady that is caught in the act of adultery. And uh, Jesus says, let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And it's just like, 
you're supposed to love love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? And um, it's just like I would, as I love myself, right? So I wouldn't want to be pinned down underneath all these men for you know nine minutes, more than nine minutes. And so it's just like, where is that sense of um, justice? Where is that sense? If if, if we're going to really, really be Christ-like, there's an example right there in John of Jesus keeping somebody from being persecuted, you know? Um, and I think even going back to that first question about the trial, like this year, being reminded that all of this started from a fake $20 bill mm -hmm. was crazy for me. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like time goes, it's been a year, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, like all of this started because he paid for something with a fake $20 bill. Um, and the young man calls, you know, the police to handle it. How does that warrant death? Mm -hmm. A fake $20 bill. And how many other times have we said this? <laughs> when does wearing a hoodie and having Skittles and a tea mm -hmm. warrant death? When does, you know, selling some single cigarettes, you know, these different situations. Um, and so where's the sense of justice even in that? Because it's like, yeah, that was wrong to have a fake $20 bill. Is that the death sentence? Mm -hmm. Right? Um so, yeah, it's just been crazy to be reminded that's how it all started. And even with the trial, seeing the young man that took the $20 bill and called the police and everything, he really regretted calling the police that day. And it's like, why does this 19-year-old regret calling the people that are supposed to protect and serve, you know? And just different people, even though the, one of the women that recorded it regrets not stepping up and doing more. And these people repeatedly you know, these witnesses that broke down during the trial. It was crazy. And um, it's interesting always in these situations, like you're saying about like justifying killing somebody. Like, it's like, yeah, Chauvin is on trial, but is he on trial? Because it feels like George is on is on trial, right? And it's, that's the way it is. I feel like every single time there's police shooting, people are like, oh, well, they were breaking the law. Oh, well, they didn't comply, like you said. And it's just like, yo, what's the price of a life? Like, what? <laughs> You know, if we're all made in the image of God, then yeah, I just I don't and I, believe, I don't get that. Yeah. I'm gonna cut you off, Adrian, oh, No, you're fine. But just hopping with you, like we I don't know if you guys have heard of just the exodus from the evangelical church. Yeah. Like so many Christians are leaving the, these evangelical spaces because I think a lot of the evangelical rhetoric in these cases is well he shouldn't have done this mm -hmm. he um i literally heard a pastor say well he did have you know um over the illegal women of drugs in his system you know and yeah. it's like what and like even what you're saying just like so many people are say oh just preach the gospel evangelize so we preach this message of love and compassion um, to loving our neighbor, but when it comes to like actively doing it, um, it's like, bro, that's not loving at all. Like a man, like, you know what I'm saying? And so it's, and I feel like, Michael, what you just said about teaching that it's not just evangelism, but it's word and deed is so important today because I believe that the evangelical church has preached for so long oh, it's just work. It's just evangelism. But then we turn around and we fail to really walk out the walk of 
loving our neighbor. And honestly, I think so many people are even lost today of saying, okay, what does it even really mean to love my neighbor? Mm -hmm. I've heard good sermons. I read my Bible. I know to give out tracts or, you know, I know how to live out my Christian faith for myself. But what does it really look like in these everyday situations to love my neighbor? And so many Christians are leaving the church because of it. And so many non-believers um, are resisting the church because of this, you know what I'm saying, very thing of we preach this message of love, but we don't have the love itself. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so, Mike, uh, I, I feel like I keep coming back to you. <laughs> on, <laughs> on the hot seat today. But like you said something else, too, that I want us to all think about, talk about. Um, when you was talking, maybe this is just a passing statement, but you said um, you were not excited about the guilty verdict. Yeah, uh, mainly not thrilled about the guilty verdict because when uh, I've seen a lot of excitement about uh, what's happened, uh, maybe this is a progress or change, uh, a moment doesn't dictate what can happen over time, right. nor does it wipe away what has happened. Mm. Right. And I think that we all long for something so so much, so hopeful that at the at, at just one act that has been different, we need to jump on that. Mm. So I, you know, there is a level of reservation on my end because um, I'm thinking to myself that uh, we need to see much more um, evidence, uh, empirical evidence of change in our justice system. That doesn't apply, um, you know. We're, we're talking about situations where somebody is guilty, unnecessary right? sentencing to individuals with first offenses, etc. So, all of these things. Uh, this is one. This is a microcosm, right? Um, but we know that uh, our system is consistently and perpetually putting black and brown people in and behind bars uh, unjustly. Right? And on death row, and that's where uh, I believe Brian Stevenson is very helpful for many of us. As, you know, I'll, I'll keep pretty much louding him in, in their organization in terms of what they're doing because we forget about people that are in jail, that are in prison. Right? We, we, they're just lost individuals who are in the system and consistently are not thought of as image bearers. Yeah. Right? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it, it, like we got to begin to do some of the hard work, and it can't be like, oh, I don't want to think about those people because of what they deserve. Right? If that's the, if that is what comes out of the doctrine of grace for so many people of what we deserve, then we just got, we really got to look in the mirror. We really have to ask it and challenge ourselves on our theology and our biblical understanding of what it means to flesh out these things in terms of God and grace. Yeah. Um. You know, you talk about the whole idea of just evangelism, word and deed. You know, just thinking about the call, uh, the charge Jesus had to the church, you know, to his disciples to be the light of the world, um, to be, uh, you know, light in darkness, to be salt of the world. And, uh, you know, one of the ways to be light of the world, a powerful way, is just advocacy. You know, um, you know, being in a situation in which people are, trying to, you know, entertain some ideology as like he got what he deserved and you that outcast saying, no, that that was wrong. That was excessive. 
um, that's powerful, <laughs> you know, uh, to go again, to, to be countercultural. And that's what Jesus was, 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 was telling his disciples when he was telling the church, like, we're called to be countercultural. And countercultural, a lot of times, is continue to beat that drum of justice. And that, that, that is an implication uh, of the gospel of God's love uh, as well. But I, I, I kind of slightly push back, um, well, not necessarily push back, but for me, Mike, I, I had to fight to be excited. Not necessarily excited, but there was there was some encouragement because I do think time and time we see these trials, man, and, and I, my heart become callous, you know, pessimistic. The system has a bad track record of, of, of vindicating, in a sense, or, or, or ruling in favor of, you know, people like us, that look like us, you know, in cases like this. So something like this, I'm like, okay, you know, Man, thank God that justice was served. So there was a sense of, you know, but at the same time, I, I kind of felt like there's a lot of people that's probably patting themselves on the back, you know, uh, like 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 they did us a like they did us a favor. <laughs> that's not a favor. Yeah, you know, I don't know what, what I'm saying to be misconstrued, but it's almost as if, um, you know, I remember Dr. Robert Smith sharing this story about how the killer of his son, and, you know, how he began to disciple him and walk with him um, after. Forgave him. Like those stories, those narratives are strong and powerful, but it never means that he doesn't live with the trauma yeah. of the tragedy. Right. And so the excitement is we we are thrilled that he forgave the killer and that the killer came to know the Lord, etc. But but what what but the issue is is the fact that um, what he has to live without. And so when I say that I'm not excited. I'm not excited for the fact that, or I don't get over, you know, overly excited or jump the gun because of the million, as I said, man, I, the countless individuals who did not receive justice. Mm-hmm. So this one, you know, yeah. you're not saying this. This isn't. This isn't the ultimate sacrifice. Right. This isn't Jesus on the cross and wipe away everything that has happened. Right. I.e. Emmett Till. I.e. Every lynching that has been unnamed and unaccounted for and so that's why i say i'm not i'm not i'm not extremely excited about just this moment yeah i'm thrilled for the family um in terms of them receiving justice uh on their behalf whatever but they still have to live with that grief of not having that individual there george floyd with them for the rest of their lives and so we still got issues with the the amal auburn case we still got issues with Rihanna Taylor. We still have things to to work on, and so that's where I say, you know, I'm I'm going to put pause on jumping out my seat, and I'm going to continue to pray that the Lord uh, brings about more justice. I think that's a that what you're saying. We on the same page. It's like that holy discontentment. Like you know, there's a sense like, no, I'm not fully content with this. You know, um, there is a lot of work to be done, and so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel that because I'm like, dang, like it took a nine minute video of this, like this traumatic video. That's what it took. And they still were trying to say it wasn't from <laughs> what we all watched, you know, because it's so technical in these trials. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of that cautious optimism, I guess, yeah. like where it's like, yeah, I'm happy that, you know, because because you don't want to like praise a fish for swimming you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying like he should be guilty bro like oh you know so i feel what you're saying like i don't want people patting themselves on the back 
um, as far as like thinking they did us a favor. Yeah, right, you know, right. I think yes, the people sir. that have been in this fight for a long time, yes, please celebrate. Because if you don't celebrate, you're going to go crazy. Right. But um, yeah, I, I definitely feel that cautious optimism where it's just like, I'm glad that it was guilty, but like, why did it take this? And just not even thinking, like you said, the family of George Floyd, but also like the people that watched, all these people breaking down, the kids that watch, you know, just all of that. It's like, so it took so much trauma to see this. And it's hard this guilty. for me to disassociate that imagery, which you just said, everybody that watched, mm -hmm. when people watch brown and black mm -hmm. people lynch, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to disassociate. Yeah. We have actual accounts, pictures, mm. right. articles on these things being events mm -hmm. that our society yeah. actually condone. Yeah, concessions sold. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. That's real. That's real. So we have uh gotten to our time. I know it got kinda heavy, uh, but we do need to face these things and I think what's what's really like what I always remember is that like Jesus didn't come to make people feel comfortable. Um and I think if we're gonna be like him, sometimes we're gonna have to be in uncomfortable spaces and we're gonna have to say uncomfortable things and that's fine. <laughs> uh that's fine, you know. Uh we'll see. Uh, everything put right when we get to glory, but until then, we still have to walk this journey in this fallen world. So, um, I hope you guys are not just you know sad with us, but also encouraged, uh, embrace that holy discontentment, and just uh, wanted to mention a couple of things. So, Michael mentioned um, the EJI process. Uh, Pro, uh, project that's the equal justice initiative if you want to learn more about that it's just eji.org and then a super local thing um that we have here in memphis is justcity.org again that's justcity.org and you can get involved in that initiative they're doing some great things in mm -hmm. memphis to make sure everybody even those in the prison system are seen as image bearers so we thank y'all for listening thank you, thank you, thank you. come back we may come back with something lighter next week i don't know <laughs> but y'all y'all stay encouraged um we've been laughing all day um, <laughs> before we did this y'all could probably hear it so yeah stay encouraged we still have a hope in christ but we got work to do